Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. My Bible's open up to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, the second chapter, is where we're going to begin, and we will be in the book of Hebrews exclusively this morning. Just going to crank around in this uh, important New Testament epistle. So I'll invite you to get your Bible out, be following along, starting with me in Hebrews chapter 2. It is great to see everybody this morning. Got a good number in attendance, got folks visiting with us from other places, and we Appreciate so much the fact that you are here. It's a beautiful day, just a great day for us to be together, to worship God and to sing these beautiful songs that remind us of who we are and who God is and what our responsibilities are and what we're looking forward to as we were singing that last song. And I had a kind of a bird's eye view of this front row over here. It really did my heart good to see all these gals up singing. I think I could even hear you singing a little bit. I probably embarrassed them now. Now they're going to stop doing that. But don't keep doing that. Uh, we just appreciate everybody, your being here today and your participation in what we're doing. In Hebrews, the second chapter, let's read together, please, in the first three verses. In Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, the writer says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable... And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? I wish I could tell you that I don't know what that looks like, but I know exactly what that looks like. In these three short verses, the Hebrew writer describes for us a person that makes the good decision to embark upon the Christian walk. A person who hears the Word of God. A person who obeys the Gospel of Christ. A person who then receives the wonderful gift of salvation that God so graciously offers. They are now a child of God. They are eager. They are excited to begin this new life serving Jesus. And so what that does, how that manifests itself, is maybe that person then joins themselves to a local church, to another group of Christians. And they begin working. They get plugged in. They are attending worship regularly. They're serving. They're praying regularly. They're reading their Bible regularly. They are growing and developing as a disciple of Christ. They even reach a point where maybe they're even doing some teaching and they're encouraging and helping others to follow and to serve Jesus Christ. They're growing and maturing and it's a beautiful sight to behold. Exactly the way that God intended it. But then, over time, something seems to be changing with them. Some of that zeal that maybe they had in the beginning, it begins to, it begins to wane and to ebb away. We start to notice that maybe they're not as involved and invested as they once were. They're not as connected with their brothers and sisters as they once were. They're finding themselves more and more preoccupied with other things, not even necessarily sinful things, just, just other things are kind of taking priority in their life. Maybe on Wednesday nights, we're just sure that, man, I just look forward to, to hearing that brother or that sister hear the great comment that I know they're going to make in Bible class, and we look over, and their pew is empty. We start to realize, you know what, they, they haven't been here for several Wednesday nights now. In fact, after a while, we begin to notice that they're not even here on Sunday nights, and maybe even over time we start to realize they're not even here on Sunday mornings very consistently. You go to them and you talk to them about that. Maybe try to encourage them, pump them up a little bit. Hey, here's some opportunities to serve. Here's some opportunities maybe to teach a Bible class. Or maybe if you're a man, to be involved in the public worship assembly. And the response you get is, no, could you, could you get somebody else? 
You try to invite them over for dinner, take them out to eat, spend some time with other Christians. No, can't do that. I'm kind of busy, got some other things going on. And suddenly what we begin to realize is that this person who once used to burn just so brightly for Jesus Christ, I mean their light was shining for all the world to see, they've changed. Because now it seems as if that light has, it's faded. And after a while, if nothing is done, what's the next step going to be? The next step is going to be they're going to totally fade away entirely. We're going to get to a point where we don't even see that person anymore. That idea is really well encapsulated in a song that I was introduced to recently. The song was released back in 2007 by the musical group Casting Crowns. And the lyrics of the chorus say this, It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white are turned to gray. Thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It is a slow fade. All of us right now, I would suspect, we can think of a Christian who has either been the victim of that slow fade or maybe even right now are showing signs of that slow fade. And there's any number of reasons as to why that happens in a person's life. Maybe that happens sometimes because there's problems and discord within a church. There's just disharmony and disunity. There's fussing and fighting going on. And some people, when they're around that, they just realize, I just, I just can't do that anymore. I just can't be involved in that. It's dragging me down. And so, so they just decide to kind of just lose interest in this. Sometimes that happens because a person is influenced by false teaching. Or maybe just that might just be the teaching of the world and worldliness. And as a result, things are said to them and they digest them and it plants seeds of doubt and questions in their mind. And it causes them to be less and less engaged in what they once believed and in what they once were convicted about. Or maybe that happens because a person just has some things going on in their life personally and privately. A struggle. And as a result of that constant fight, a person just kind of gets tired of putting up that fight with sin and temptation or various problems and struggles, and so they start to make some compromises. And slowly but surely, they begin to fade. There's lots of different reasons for why that happens, but one thing is very clear. It is a process that does not happen overnight. When people decide to leave the Lord... When people choose to relinquish their faith in Christ, when people just give up on Christianity altogether, it happens gradually. It happens incrementally, bit by bit. People don't crumble in a day. It is indeed a slow fade. Our text in Hebrews chapter 2 speaks of the danger of the slow fade. In fact, the analogy or the metaphor that the Hebrew writer employs in verse 1 is that of drifting. And we'll borrow that metaphor a couple of times this morning as well. As the writer is writing to a group of Christians who he feared were in danger of fading away spiritually. And just as he was concerned about those people in the first century, I this morning am expressing my concern 
for brothers and sisters in Christ in the 21st century, some of whom maybe even are sitting in this building this morning, who do not have the same vibrancy and fervor for the Lord that they once did, and are maybe showing some of those signs of fading. I am urging you. I am urging me. I am urging all of us this morning to listen to what the Hebrew writer has to say about how that happens, about where that slow fade, about where that leads to, but most importantly of all, to hear what the Bible has to say about how to stop that process. I will be candid with you. I am so tired of seeing Christians give themselves over, allow themselves to be swept away, to drift away from the Lord. And they drift to a point and they're allowed to go to this point and they get so far away from God that it reaches a place where they can't even fathom the idea of ever coming back to the anchor and coming back to Jesus Christ. How about this morning? How about we make a commitment? How about the Lakeside Church makes the commitment that we're not going to allow that to happen to this family of believers At least we're not going to allow that to happen without putting up a big strong fight. How about we make the commitment that we're going to be on guard for this? That we're going to be alert about this? In the words of the Hebrew writer, we're going to pay much closer attention so that no one from this family fades away spiritually. To help us to that end, I want to share with you this morning three truths about the slow fade that the Hebrew writer identifies for us in this passage and, in fact, throughout the entire book of Hebrews. That all begins just by talking about how incredibly deceptive that slow fade really is. Let's use that analogy that the Hebrew writer uses there in verse 1. Let's use that analogy of drifting. What do we associate drifting with? Well, just kind of aimlessly meandering around. I told this story before, but one of the most enjoyable vacation activities that Tiffany and I ever did, this was B.C., this was before Child, this was before Hattie come along. It it was an afternoon when we were down in Gatlinburg and we went down to Townsend, Tennessee, and we rented a couple of inner tubes. It was the River Rat Tubing Company. And we rented these inner tubes and you sit on the tube and you jump into the little river and you allow the water to just push you and to just guide you through the wonders and the beauties and the majesties of the Smoky Mountains. It was, it was wonderful. And part of what made that so wonderful is that we just went, we just went wherever the river took us. We weren't worried about where we were going. We weren't concerned about when we were going to get there or how we were going to get there. We didn't have to worry about our time and a schedule or anything. No, we just kind of flowed right along and and that's exactly what drifting is all about. All of that involves it involves no thought, involves no planning, it involves no concern for which direction we're going. You don't have to stick to some tightly scripted agenda, none of that. You can just kind of cut loose and you can just go with the flow. While that sounds all well and good if you're inner tubing down a river, I must tell you, that can happen to Christians. And it's not a good thing. Sometimes what happens is, is we reach a point in our Christianity where we just kind of get tired of the struggle. This fight with always trying to do the right thing and always trying to put our best foot forward. We get tired of having to take our spirituality so serious. Always going to church. Always reading the Bible. Always praying. And sometimes we just, we just want to let go a little bit. And you know what? We sometimes tell ourselves that, that that's okay in small doses. 
What people say sometimes, and I've heard these very expressions, people will say, well, I'm just, I just kind of need to back off for a little while. I just need to take a little bit of a break. I just need to take some time for myself and, and just to kind of find myself. Indeed, that is so easy to say and to rationalize that many people don't even realize what they are doing when they make those rationalizations. After all, at first, it doesn't seem like you've gone very far away. I mean, okay, I was here, and now I'm just here. I mean, Jesus is still within arm's length, right? If I want to jump back to Him, I can grab Him right there. I'm not like going off into terrible apostasy, some kind of terrible sin. I haven't given up my faith in Jesus. Come on, I'm just right here. And after a little bit of time, I'm, well, I'm just right here too. I mean, again, I can still see Jesus over here on the shore. I can go scrambling back to Him if I need to. I haven't given up entirely. I've just neglected a thing here or a thing there. Hold on there. You hear that word neglect? Does that sound familiar? Look at verse 3 again of Hebrews chapter 2. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The Hebrew writer wants to stop that line of thinking. He wants to rebuke that thinking of, I can just kind of let go a little bit. It'll be alright if I just drift for a little while and put out a little bit from the shore. No! Repeatedly, the Hebrew writer says, don't do that. Look in, let's just run some passages. Look in chapter 12 of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12, look in verse 15. Let's think about this and think about some ideas that the Hebrew writer points out that I think really just indicate how deceived we can become about this drifting and fading. In Hebrews 12 and in verse 15, he says there, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Do you think about that? Do you ever think about the idea that I could drift away from the Lord, and I could end up forfeiting God's grace, that an evil root of bitterness could spring up and overtake me? We'll think about those things when it comes to drifting. Hey, I'm just taking a little break. Just taking some time for myself. Not thinking about the idea that I could forfeit the very grace of God. How about in chapter 3? In chapter 3 of Hebrews, look in verse 12. In Hebrews chapter 3 and in verse 12, he says, Take care, brothers. Notice all these admonitions to be careful, to take care, pay attention. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Do you think about that? That if I drift, I could actually reach a point where I develop an evil and unbelieving heart. Somebody says, oh, I'm not going to allow that to happen. I'm not going to reach a point where I just disbelieve in the Lord. How do you know? Where do you think that starts? Look in chapter 4. In chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Do you think about that? That if I drift, I could drift so far that I could fail to reach the promised rest of God. I could fail to reach heaven. How about one more in this connection? Chapter 6. This one is the one that, mm, it gets me every time. In chapter 6 and in verse 4, there the writer says, For it is impossible 
In the case of those who have once been enlightened, all right, this person who they started out great, they learned the truth, they're obedient to it, they know how good and how great and how awesome it is to be in Christ and to be following Jesus Christ. It is impossible in the case of those who've once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift, they've shared in the Holy Spirit, they've tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. It is impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and they are holding Him up to contempt. Do you think about that? That if I drift, I could crucify the Son of God again. In a figurative sense, I can be the one that is nailing those nails into His hands putting the crown of thorns on his head, spitting on him as he walks by. That I could get so far into sin, I could drift so far that it reaches a point where it is impossible for me to be restored. Now that doesn't mean that I can't be restored. It simply means I won't be restored. The fact is, that's not what drifting folks want to think about. What do we do? What do we want to think about? Well, what we do when maybe we've drifted a little bit is we start looking around and we find somebody who's worse than we are. And we then compare ourselves to them and we say, hey, compared to that guy, I'm okay. I'm doing pretty good compared to that person over there. We look at somebody like that and we just kind of hope that God's going to end up grading on the curve. Maybe we look around the local congregation and we say, well, you know what? I may not be an A-plus Christian like that guy, but look at that guy over there. He's like an F-minus Christian. So I'd like to think that a C-plus Christian, and that's going to fare pretty well in the eyes of the Lord. The book of Hebrews constantly just warns us against that kind of dangerous and deceptive thinking. Because over and over again, it calls us to self-examination. Not others' examination. Self-examination. What am I neglecting that I ought to be doing? What is the standard for my spirituality? Am I comparing myself to the average of the congregation? Or am I comparing myself to the divine standard? Am I living according to the Word of God? Or have I looked around and I found somebody who kind of to me looks like a lousy Christian and I patted myself on the back because, well, I'm doing a lot better than that person is. Where am I in my walk with God? Ask yourself this. Where did I used to be in my walk with Jesus? Am I closer to the Lord now than I was then? Or have I let myself drift? Have I allowed my spirituality to fade and to wane and to not be as strong as it once was? And is it possible, worse of all, that as that's happened, I have deceived myself into thinking that, well, I'm okay. That's the deception of the slow fade. And as we think about that fade, as we think about that drift, where exactly, what exactly is the direction of drifting? Look at Hebrews 2 again. Look at verse 1. In verse 1, he says, we need to be careful, need to pay much closer attention, lest we drift away. Away. This drift, this slow fade, it goes in one direction and one direction only, and that is away. You know, this pink shirt that I'm wearing this morning, 
If I go leave it outside in the sunlight for the next week, it's not going to turn into a brighter shade of pink, is it? No, it's going to fade. And the same thing goes with drifting. You cannot and you will not drift to the Lord. You're not going to drift into greater righteousness. You're not going to drift into greater heights of service. And most importantly, you will not drift into heaven. That term drift, it speaks to the idea of just being carried along with the current. And what that suggests is, is that suggests that you are not in control. Someone else is in control. Or something else is in control. A boat that's just drifting along in the water, it's not just going to stumble into the port, is it? It's not just going to happen to arrive at its destination safely. Something else is at work there. And it's going to take you where you not necessarily even want to go. It's going to take you where it wants you to go. And that's why I believe this morning that the challenge for us to war against drifting is not so much that we need to be on guard for big, flashy, and obvious sins. Now, let me be careful. We do want to be on guard for big sins that can take us away from God. But the truth is, I don't expect that I'm ever going to turn on the evening news one night and I'm going to find out right there on the headlines that member of the Lakeside Church of Christ in Somerset, Kentucky went into the movie theater and just shot people indiscriminately. I don't suspect that that's going to happen with anybody here. I don't expect to ever get word that one of the members of this congregation is involved in ritual satanic worship or some other kind of horrible and appalling sin. That kind of thing rarely happens, and the truth is, that's not how drifting works. And so our challenge is that we need to be more deliberate and we need to be more intentional about fighting against the current of drifting. If drifting and fading leads me away from the Lord, then I need to be pushing strongly in the opposite direction, don't I? Which is where? I need to be drawing near to God. And that note is sounded again and again and again at least a half dozen times in the book of Hebrews. Can we grab two or three of those? Look in Hebrews chapter 4. This idea of drawing near to God. That's what we need to be more intentional about. In Hebrews chapter 4, look in verse 16. In Hebrews 4, 16, I think we've already done this a little bit this morning, just a few moments ago. In Hebrews 4, see if you can catch it, verse 16. The writer says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help, in time of need. I think that's speaking about prayer. It could be speaking about other things, but prayer would certainly be included in that. Are we using and accessing the avenue of prayer as a means by which we can draw near to God? That, that's, a, that's a weapon that I am using to fight against the drift and the fade? How about in chapter 10? In chapter 10, look in verse 22. In chapter 10, we're all very acquainted with verse 25 that talks about don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. That's the passage that says you need to go to church. But look at the verses that precede that. What's the purpose of our assembling together? Hebrews 10, look at verse 22. Let us draw near 
with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In that context there the Hebrew writer says that these assemblies, that what we are doing in worship, it is designed to help us draw near to God. That's what we're doing today when we're singing, when we're praying, when we're listening to the Word, as we partake of the supper, even as we give, as we do all of these things collectively. We're drawing near to God. Do you see worship in that way? Do you see these assemblies? And we have them regularly scheduled three times every week. But there are other opportunities as well. Do we see these as being, man, that's what I need to pull me from this direction over to this direction? One more in this connection. Look in chapter 11. Have you just turned the page? In chapter 11, look in verse 6. In chapter 11 and in verse 6, the writer says there, as he talks about faith, he says, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. That passage speaks of faith. Let me ask you, where does faith come from? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Let me ask you about Scripture. What's your attitude toward Scripture? What's your attitude toward reading and studying the Bible? Are we using Scripture to bolster and strengthen our faith so that we can, Hebrews eleven six draw near to God? It has been my observation that people who slowly fade away, they do not find themselves in that position because they've committed some big, terrible, obvious sin. Usually... Usually they find themselves in that position because of small steps, little things, an accumulation of little and simple things that got neglected, small things that God has given us and are designed to draw us near to Him. Think about all those daily disciplines that we just enumerated there. Prayer, worship, Bible study. God has given us those things not to be a burden on us, not to be just a big bind on our time. God has given us those things to pull us closer to His heart so that we can be closer and be within the safety of His big and strong and loving arms. James chapter 4 and verse 8, if you were just looking in the very next book of the Bible, James 4 verse 8 says, Draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. That says that God wants us to be close to Him and He has made it possible so that we can be close to Him. And so let's do a self-check again. Just ask yourself right now. What are some things that maybe I used to do in my walk with God that I'm just not really doing anymore? Or maybe I'm not doing nearly as much as I once did. Somebody's maybe thinking right now, well, you know, I can remember a time when I used to come to every single worship service. Somebody else is thinking, you know what, I can remember a time when... I prayed like three or four times every single day. Made sure that I prayed to the Lord before I pillowed my head at night. Prayed before every meal. Prayed first time, first thing as soon as I woke up in the morning. Somebody else is thinking, man, I used to be so diligent and devoted to reading the Bible. 
Made that a regular fixture in my life every single day. Somebody else is thinking, you know what, I used to be really close to my brothers and sisters. Man, used to used to go out to eat with folks, spend time in, in their houses, and, and we just enjoyed being with each other. Used to do all kinds of things. I used to teach Bible class, used to do this, used to do that. That kind of fond and nostalgic reminiscing, what that says is, is that says that we used to be, we used to be much closer to the Lord than we are right now. And what that ought to be saying to us most importantly is something's wrong here. Something is awry. There has been a change in my Christianity. And the result of that is not positive. The result of that is a subtle, insidious, maybe I didn't even notice it until I just now took some inventory, but it is a drift away from the Lord. When we look at where we used to be, and we look at where we are right now, We may realize that that flame of zeal, it is dimming. And if something doesn't change, it may go away completely. What's the direction in your life? Are you allowing yourself to be pulled and carried along? Be steered along by other things? Are you letting the winds of family? Or your friends? Or maybe a job? Or recreation and hobbies? Or maybe, yes, maybe it is a sinful desire and pleasure. Are you allowing those things to steer you in whatever way that they wish? If you're drifting, I'll say again, you're not in control. And the only direction that you're heading is away from God. And that all, of course, means one thing and one thing only. And that is that that slow fade, it leads nowhere good. It leads to one place and one place only, and that is ultimately to eternal destruction. Being eternally lost. If you go back to that passage where we started in chapter 2, in chapter 2 and in verse 3, the Hebrew writer asks there a, a question that he does not supply the answer for, but he doesn't need to supply the answer for. In Hebrews 2 and verse 3, he asks the question, How shall we escape if we drift... And we neglect so great a salvation. You realize that is a rhetorical question. Because the answer is, we cannot escape, and we will not escape. Christians who have cut themselves loose spiritually, Christians who have allowed themselves to drift away from God, they are merely fortunate that God is allowing them to live on this earth, and by His grace He is giving them the time that they need to repent. The precious hours and minutes on that clock to give them the time to repent and to turn back to Him before it is too late. Because if they don't, they're not going to be able to escape. Somebody says, well, what is that escape? Escape from what? Look at chapter 10. In chapter 10, the Hebrew writer spells it out. What are we talking about? In Hebrews chapter 10, I'm reading in verse 26... This is after that famous verse about assembling together. In verse 26 he says, For if we go on sinning deliberately... This is this is a person... I, I know that I'm away from the Lord. I know I am not where I ought to be. But I'm just going to continue on anyway. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. The writer's saying there in verse 26 that if you don't take advantage of Jesus now, 
There's just not anything good left. Christianity, folks, it's all that there is. And, and we need to grab that and we need to believe that. That this is all that there is if we want hope. And if you are waiting for some version of Christianity light to come along, or maybe a Cliff Notes variation of the Bible that's like, you know, a third less demanding and requires you to do half as much as what the Bible really calls you to do, folks, you are waiting in vain. The Hebrew writer says it is Jesus and nothing else. Christianity is the way, period. And Christianity only works when you and I are fully on board with that. we got to get in it and we got to go or we're going to miss out entirely. You know, the truth of the matter is, the easiest way to be lost is to just drift. It actually takes more effort, I believe, to go out and be involved in wanton sin, where I am just rebelling against the Lord. That takes more effort than it does to just drift. You don't have to become some scandalous, awful sinner, some criminal that gets your mug shot on the front page of the newspaper, somebody that everybody knows about and talks about as, oh, that's an awful person there. You don't have to do that. Just just neglect a little bit here. Just cut some corners over there. Drift away slowly and surely from genuine Christianity in some kind of lukewarm, go-through-the-motions routine. And you know what? Along the way, you may be able to even soothe your conscience a little bit. You may say things to yourself like, well, hey, I, I, I still come to church every now and then. I still show up. Or, you know, hey, I'm not as bad as some people out there. Yet at the end of the day, you say what you want to yourself. At the end of the day, you will still be lost. What's the fix? What's the cure for the slow fade? Would you go back to Hebrews 2 one final time? In Hebrews 2, look at verse 1 again. How does he begin? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Brother and sister, I, I need you to think back. Think back to that moment in your life when you realized that the gospel, that it was for you. That moment that you realized, I'm a sinner. I, I, I'm lost. I am out of favor and out of fellowship with the God of heaven. That moment that you realized you needed a Savior. That you needed Jesus. That you needed to respond and obey the gospel call. Do you remember that day? Do you remember how what you heard, maybe it was from a pulpit, and it just seemed like the preacher was preaching just right at you and only you. Do you remember that moment? Do you remember how what you heard, how it galvanized you to action? How what you heard, it caused you to make a change in your life. I'm talking about do you remember the moment when the gospel made a difference? The Hebrew writer says... You need to remember that. And you need to stop your drifting. You need to listen and hear the gospel yet again. You need to re-anchor your soul in that truth. The truth of Jesus. The truth, the way, and the life. Please don't make the mistake this morning of thinking to yourself, well, Josh, you know, that's a pretty good lesson that you give here today. And I reckon that probably is a really good lesson for Brother Drifter over here. Or you know what, I sure hope sister slow fade. I hope she was paying attention today. And you know what, if I ever find myself drifting from God, hey, I'll pull up the podcast and I'll give this lesson a listen. Listen to me. What's the lines of that song again? People never crumble 
in a day. It is a slow fade. You may be in the middle of that fade right now and you're just not humble enough to recognize it. So who here this morning is humble enough to say, you know what, these warnings and these admonitions from Hebrews, these are for me. I need to be diligent about these things so that I am not be, I am not deceived. I need to be diligent to draw near to God so that I don't go away. I need to be diligent about my Christianity so that I do not drift into eternity lost. One last verse if you've still got your Bible open. It's in chapter 10. Here's our verse. Here, here, here's the verse that we just need to make our mantra. For each of us individually, this needs to be our mantra collectively. In Hebrews chapter 10, it's in verse 39. In Hebrews 10 verse 39, the writer says, But we are not of those who shrink back. In the verbiage of this morning's sermon, I might say, We are not of those who slowly fade away and are destroyed. But we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I hope this morning that you, just as I am right now, I hope that you are taking spiritual inventory. I hope that you are getting your bearings together. And I hope that if you are asleep spiritually, I hope that you are waking up from that spiritual lethargy. Because most of all, if this morning, if you have the humility of heart to recognize that I am, and I've been showing those signs of drifting away from Jesus, I hope you have decided that today, today is the day that that stops. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of encouragement. And that song is designed to encourage anyone this morning who needs to either obey the gospel for the very first time, or especially in light of the things that we've just talked about, that maybe this morning you need to stop drifting and you need to come back to the shore. Come back where Jesus is. Wrap yourself around Him. His arm is outstretched. Your brothers and sisters who surround Jesus, our arms are outstretched. Let us pull you back in so that you can be safe in that fold of safety. If there's some praying that needs to happen, if there's some repenting that needs to be happened, maybe there's just some encouraging that needs to happen. Maybe you're just, you, you, maybe it's not, you're not in a, in a point of sin, but you're just struggling. You just need the prayers of your brothers and sisters. How can we neglect so great a salvation? Can't. That's just not even an option. This morning, let's accept it and receive it. Be recipients of that wonderful gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. If you're subject to the invitation in any way, would you seize upon this moment? Do that by coming to the front while we stand. And while we sing.